Hey guys, welcome to the podcast this week. This is Pickled Parables. My name's Jesse. For the last few weeks, we've been working our way through the book of Galatians. We've been going verse by verse, and we've reached chapter 3. Now, at this point, Paul begins giving uh, analogies and using historical people as examples. And so to fully appreciate the teachings of Paul, we need to take a step back and grab some context to help us understand what is being communicated. So we're going to take two weeks, starting with this episode, to look at the story of Abraham and the law of the Old Testament. So this week we'll look at the story of Abraham, and next week we'll look at the law of the Old Testament. So that's that's the game plan for now. Uh, after these two weeks, we'll go back to Galatians, back to chapter 3. But for now, let's take a look at the story of Abraham. Okay, I'm going to start with a statement. And then we'll spend this lesson kind of unpacking this statement and looking at it because this is kind of the main idea of of what we're going to be talking about. So here, I'll, I'll present to you the statement. Abraham was a man of incredible faith, but he was also a man who wanted to achieve God's promises with self effort. I want to read that again because this is uh, the main point that I want to communicate through this lesson. Abraham was a man of incredible faith, but he was also a man who wanted to achieve God's promises with self-effort. And this is something God deals with, with the covenants that he makes with him and just his interactions with him. So, before we begin our look into the statement, I suppose, I'll, I'll uh, explain that this story of Abraham is covered through the book of Genesis, chapter 12. I think it's up to 25. Yes, chapter 12 to 25. So that's, that's kind of our, our network or boundaries for this story. But it's important to realize that these, these stories are not isolated from each other. The stories of Genesis, the stories of Exodus, the stories of the Bible, really, are not contained in vacuum-sealed bags, uh, just categories, I guess. And so, with that in mind, we, we should acknowledge that these stories are written with a, a literary form or a literary type called historical narratives. It makes up about half of the Bible. And it's, it's history presented through a, a narrator, I, I suppose, is, is kind of the best way to say that. It comes through a, a person telling a story. So they're, they're events, they're things that happened, but it's being told through a storyteller, essentially. And again, we need to remember these stories 
are interconnected. We see lots of patterns resurface through the stories. We see lots of repetitions. And we'll see that in the story of Abraham because I'll point them out. Now, for the story of Abraham, it starts with his name being Abram and in Genesis chapter 12. So here's what we know about Abram when we first are introduced to him. Abram comes from a long line of people. He comes from the line of Shem. And in Genesis chapter 11, yep, I just had to check. In Genesis chapter 11, we have a genealogy that details the the lineage he comes from. But something that's very noticeable in this genealogy is how it says things like, then he fathered so-and-so, and then so-and-so fathered so-and-so, and he had other sons and daughters. It's That's repeated through every <laughs> every generation. But when we get to Abraham, the first thing we find out about him is that he is childless. He doesn't have any sons or daughters. He, he doesn't have any uh, grandchildren. He doesn't have anything to really kind of carry his lineage. And in the day of Abram, that was important. Societal success was having children. It was uh, prosperity. The external sign of children was lacking for Abram. Now, he had a wife. Her name was Sarai. But together, they were unable to have children. And so we find out that Abram lives with with his father, Terah, and also with his nephew, Lot, Uh, who belonged to Abram's brother who had passed away. So this is the setting we enter into when we come to Genesis chapter 12. This is how it starts. Now, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, go from your kindred, from your father's house, to the land that I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and he who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so Abram went as the Lord had told him. Now, I want to be clear about this statement because it's important for us to know. But Abram did not do anything to, to earn this, this kind of promise from God. He, he did not earn it. He did not discover it. Like he didn't go somewhere and find a genie in a bottle. He, he, he did nothing to earn this type of, of blessing and, and promise. This is something God gave him, something he offered Abram. Abram did nothing other than receive it. But we we must commend Abram here in this moment because he believed the Lord. It could be easy to disregard this promise as something that's just not possible and, and leave it. But Abram believed the Lord. He packed up his things. He grabbed his wife. He took his nephew and he traveled the Fertile Crescent to a land he had never been. And once he arrived in the land of Canaan, the land of promise, he built an altar and he thanked the Lord and, and then he started to look around and notice there's a, 
There's a lot of a famine. There's a famine going on here, but there's <laughs> not much food. There's not much. Uh, where where's the blessing? Where where is the uh, the promise you you said that you were going to give me? The first thing that Abram does once he arrives in in the place that God showed him was to leave it. Abram couldn't see the blessing that God had promised him. He he couldn't he he didn't see it. And he, he kind of wanted to take things into his own hands, and so he left, and he went down south. He went to Egypt because they had food. Let me read the account. This is Genesis 12, 10. Now, there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they're going to say, this is, this is his wife? And then they're going to kill me. But they will let you live. So say that you're my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, that my life may be spared for your sake. Now, this is a horrible idea because a- Abram is convincing his wife to to, well, first, lie, say that they're not married. He's also using her to gain a, a benefit. He's scared, he's fearful, and so he, he tries to put her <laughs> out into a compromising position so that he would be okay. Not a great thing for a husband to do. And, and that, that is something that happens. In verse 15, or 14, when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians looked and they saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. He, had, gave, him, he, he gave him sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, and female donkeys, and camels. Now, one could say that this is blessing. Abram received blessing from Pharaoh, but he did it in, in, in a way of deception. He lied. He sacrificed his wife. Do you remember the promise God gave him? I will make you into a great nation. I will bless those who bless you. In order to become a nation, you need to have children. Abram was sacrificing the method through which God was going to bless him. He, was, he gave his wife away to Pharaoh. And in return, he received a blessing that he created. Was it good things? I mean, there's prosperity. It's what the societal success determined as good. But it was not the plan that God had. Verse 17 says, But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and Pharaoh's house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Now, if you have gone to Sunday school, the, the word plagues might trigger a memory for you uh, in the book of Exodus when God sent plagues to Egypt uh, as, as well because he was trying to pull his people out of, of Egypt. However, the situation was different at that time because in Exodus, it was based off, off of Pharaoh's deception. Right here, it's Abram. It's Abram's fault. He lied. And he's causing this to happen. The Lord said that he would make 
Abram be a blessing, but those who dishonor him, he would curse. And so God is sticking, he's staying true to his word, even though Abram's not living up to his part of the deal. And Pharaoh, verse 18, called Abram and said to him, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she's your wife? Why did you say she, she's my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here's your wife, take her, go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had gathered. So, just a couple observations. I'm sure this was not a a beneficial time for Abram and his relationship with his wife. It's it's also fair to say that the relationship that he had created with Pharaoh, they they might have been friends. I mean, he keep kept giving, kept giving Abram all kinds of things. Imagine the friendship was fractured as well. <laughs> but it, it it's because of Abram's deception. He he gained blessing, but he lost his wife. He got her back, but I'm sure there was tension. I'm sure there was strife. Well earned on his part. He had tried to take a blessing. God said he was going to bless him. He was going to give him a land. And he goes, sees a famine. He doesn't trust the word of God immediately. Or maybe he's not ready to wait. Maybe he wants to encourage it, try to help it out and make it happen on his own terms. And so he tries to create his own blessing. Now, something here that's interesting before we move on to the next part is we need to remember that the stories of the Bible are not created in a vacuum. Rather, they interconnect with each other. In fact, the wording of this story, going to Egypt, is reminiscent. There's, there's a lot of specific words and statements being used, specific situations happening that are reminiscent of the Garden of Eden with, Ad, with Adam and Eve, eating the forbidden fruit God told them not to eat. Like, for instance, the Egyptians looked and saw that his wife was very beautiful, and so they took, they took her and made, them, made her their wife. Just like Adam and Eve, or Eve saw that the, the fruit on the tree looked good to eat, and so they took it and ate it. Then we have Pharaoh coming to Abram and saying, what is this you have done to me? It's very similar to what God said to Adam and Eve. What is this you have done? Why have you eaten the fruit of this tree? And we see this mirroring happening with these stories. And we'll see it continue with the next couple of stories. But it's, it's clear, something that's made clear, a main point that we could draw from this, is that in a situation like this, it's clear that Abram was not in the will of God in this moment. He was rather kind of fulfilling his own will, trying to create his own blessing. Now, Abram left. He had a a skirmish with some some kings of the land because he had become a little bit powerful and he was able to be a threat to them. But then later, God comes to him and, and reaffirms with him the, the promise he had made. He comes and he says, he, he comes to Abram in a vision, and he says in chapter 15, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So notice how the reward is 
is something that's given to Abram, reward, right? It's not something that he earned or creates. It's a reward given to him. Your reward will be very great. Abram said to him, God, what will you give me? I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Abram continued, Behold, you have given me no offspring. A member of my household is going to be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. No, this man will not be your heir. Your very own son, or I'll be very specific here with the Hebrew uh, text, what will come from your own loins, what will come from you, will be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And then he turned and said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. Now this is a a big moment that's, that's referred back to many, 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 many times in the Bible. Abram believed the Lord. He believed his promise. And God counted it, or he credited it to him, his belief, as righteousness. And that is an important moment, something commendable, something that we should look to for ourselves. It is through belief. It is not through self-efforts. Abram had self-effort. He tried, but that is not what God commended. In fact, he rebuked him and don't do that. Do it my way. <laughs> However, immediately after this reaffirmment, immediately after this promise, Abram's wife came to him in chapter 16. She says this. Now, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. They had, got, they had gotten this person from their time in Egypt when Abram deceived Pharaoh. So notice how the, the plan that Sarai puts before God, or not, not God, I'm sorry, the plan that Sarai puts before Abram, the, the, the setup for it had come from deception. So that's a great place to come from. Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Now go into my servant, that it may be that I obtain children from her. The, that's a Hebrew idiom. To go into is a Hebrew idiom for sex. So Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. And after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. Now, I want to read something else to you, just so that you can hear the, the, the similarities. Let me see if I can find it really fast. I'm looking in Genesis chapter 3, and here it is. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Now listen to this. 
So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her wife, Abram, her husband, as a wife. Again, it's, it's a callback to when people first tried to do things their own way. Now, Abram went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. And Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Now, instead of looking backward, this time I want to look forward to the end of a, of a book called Judges. Humanity had been spiraling out of control, doing, just kind of getting worse and worse and worse. And that's fully realized in the book of Judges. And the very last sentence in this book is, is this. I'll read it. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And something that the narrator of Judges makes very clear is that it was not right in the eyes of God. This is something we see pulled from here. When Abram told Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. And so again, we have this, in, this man of incredible faith continue to try to figure things out on his own. And so we have in chapter 17, G Genesis chapter 17, God comes to him again and reaffirms for a third time the covenant, the promise that he had given him. When, the Lord, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and that you may multiply, and that you may multiply greatly. And then Abram fell on his face. Now just think of this interaction. Does this sound cordial? Does this sound why would Abram fall to his face? Why would God say, I am God Almighty, walk before me blameless? Because Abram was in the wrong. And Abram knew it. Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you. And you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer will your name be called Abram, but your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of a multitude of nations. Now remember, previously this was Abram, he was going to be the father of a nation. But now because he had done things his own way and he had born a son who became known as Ishmael, he was now going to become the father of nations. God continued and he said, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations, for an everlasting covenant. Then God said to Abraham, 
As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you will keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it will be a sign of the covenant between you and me. What did Abraham just do before this encounter with God? He had sex with Hagar. He created a baby. And now the sign of this covenant, the sign of this promise God makes with Abraham is to cut off a piece from the part of his body that he had just used to create that baby, to create Ishmael. Circumcision is an external sign for the individual to remember that they cannot achieve God's promises through self-effort. Now, the Judaizers in the book of Galatians had a different understanding. I would call it a misunderstanding of circumcision. They believed it was a sign of heritage, not a sign of God's covenant, not a sign reminding the individual that we need to do it God's way rather than our way. Because the the fact is that in the letter of Galatians, these, these men were trying to achieve salvation their way. Let me turn. Let me get there. Galatians. Yes, Ephesians, Galatians. Listen to this. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify or count righteous could be another translation, to justify or count righteous the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now listen to this. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Let me repeat the statement I started with at the beginning. Abraham was a man of incredible faith, but he was also a man who wanted to achieve God's promises with self-effort. I understand the desire that men have to earn their salvation. I think it comes from an internal realization that something needs to be done. Typically, men are people of action. We like to get things done. And we understand something needs to be done. And sometimes we lapse. Sometimes our faith lapses and we we want to take control. We want to have the moment. We want to just fix it ourselves. But I must confess, and something that 
we must all individually confess is that there is nothing we can do except receiving, believing and receiving the gift God has given us because it is only through God's work that we would be able to be saved. Listen to this. This is from the book of Romans. Romans chapter 4. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. My friends, it is about belief. We must admit there is nothing we can do. We have to humble ourselves to a point where we can reach out and ask for help from the only person who can give us that help. Abraham was consistent in his belief that God would fulfill his promises. But sometimes he wanted to exercise control. Sometimes Abraham wanted to see things through on his own terms. And while we commend his belief and recognize the incredible faith that he had, we need to admit that Abraham, Abraham was susceptible to his own selfish ambitions and his own desire for control. Yet this admonition is a, a testament that God's standard is not achievable by mankind and that God alone is the only person who could purposefully use a person's faulty ambitions for his own glory. Next week, we'll look at the role that the Old Testament plays in the Bible specifically in how it is related to the promise that God gave to Abraham. So until next week, I'll catch you later.